by whilst making this podcast who sadly passed away this week um we have done a lot of shows on fmw and especially in the early days of fmw and iwa there was lots of tarzan goto and it would be unfair of us not to to celebrate his uh past his sad passing without a career retrospective so to join me today um as this is a special occasion is brett from fmwwrestling.us how are you sir I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. Well, thank you very much for joining us. And, of course, John Dinsdale of Steel Share Wrestling Magazine. How are you today? Yeah, it's. it seems that the weather has chosen to fit the theme of the episode as it's pissing it down. Indeed, it is. It is a sad, sad day for British weather. However, what can you do? Um, Tarzan Goto is an interesting character, to say the least, and he lived through interesting times, which is a blessing and a curse, as they say. Uh, but his career started um, as a sumo wrestler, not as a professional wrestler. Um, and when he finished with sumo, he joined All Japan Pro Wrestling, uh, a giant babas promotion, which is a world away from where he ended up. Brett, what do you know about the start of his career and what do you think led him to All Japan, as to say, the other promotions that were available to him at the time? Yeah, so he grew up as a wrestling fan. He wanted to be a wrestler, but his parents were like, no, pro wrestling doesn't bring you in, will not bring any honor. You need to be a sumo wrestler. And so, okay, I'm going to do what my parents told me to do. He he goes and joins the sumo sumo, uh, stable and he's okay. Like he went like five and two his first time, but then another set a couple months later in a tournament he went two and five and so you know kind of like a 500 record overall and then he gets hurt then the stable that he went uh the sumo stable that he was had joined they end up going out of business and so they're done he would have to find another sumo group to join and he's like no i want to be a pro wrestler i gave this sumo um you know i gave this profession the sumo wrestling a shot i want to be a pro wrestler and you know, there's all Japan and there's New Japan really at this point. And he felt like, hey, you know, I worked hard enough to be able to do, you know, be a professional sumo wrestler. I can get into, you know, I have what it takes to get into a pro wrestling state uh, dojo. And, uh, you know, he was a fan of Giant Baba and that's why he chose all Japan and, um, you know, ends up joining the all Japan dojo. And Jumbo Saruta is his trainer and helps train him to become a professional wrestler. It is interesting as well, like all Japan obviously had a lot of uh, influence from sumo because like you look at the stables and the wrestlers that it had like Jinichiro Tenryu um, and obviously the original old Japan kind of came out of the ashes of JWA which was founded by Ricky Dozan another sumo wrestler and that pipeline seems to be have been how can I put it Sumo's tended towards all Japan pro wrestling. I can complete that's completely true but it seems to be the ones the successful ones <laughs> went through the AJPW dojo. Um, we have one match from his very early days, which is 1985. I think he joined the dojo in 84. And he's tagging with Takashi Ishikawa and Tarzan uh, and against the Road Warriors, which doesn't give you a great feel for what he was capable of. 
because he's wrestling the friggin' Road Warriors, who were over like Rover at the particular time. We've done a playlist for you to watch along with us to go along with the podcast. John, what did you think of Goto in this match? Uh, you don't really get to see a whole lot of him. Like, when he's in, he's clearly there trying to make the most of the time, and he seems to have striking downright. You can tell that he understands what he's there to do, how he should be doing it, but you don't really get a whole lot of it because the match is over in, like, two minutes. Yeah, I think that's, that's the trouble. He's like, it, it's it's um, very much of its time. The, the, the Road Warriors were AWA tag team champions at the time, so it wasn't going to last very long. Um, and as, especially as Goto and Ishikawa were rookies, it was definitely not going to last very long because, you know, the Road Warriors were not doing jobs at the time. <laughs> this is like nobody. the only... This is like the only match that Goto had that wasn't an opener as well. Like he was there for several years and he really never got out of the opening match or the, or, or the second match on the card. Like all Japan, at the way he was going, there was no plan to ever really push him. So him actually getting a semi-main event, which was the, that's what this was, was semi-main event match, even though he's getting squashed and destroyed. It was, and you know, um, this was one of the very few matches that made it to YouTube because it's one of the few matches that he actually was in on that made 10 um for all japan because they didn't usually tape an error you know the first couple matches on the show so this was a big deal even though it was him getting squashed it was him getting some type of notoriety even though like i said he's getting destroyed in 80 seconds <laughs> along with the ishikawa yeah i mean this is this is the thing it's it's like that was the road warrior stick at the time they were the biggest tag team in the world they were the biggest draw in tag team draw in japan at the time as well you know they were popular wherever they went but even as heels they were super super over so yeah it's it's a it's a intriguing kind of like start to one's career um but you can also say look ajpw at the time had the talent swap deal with the nwa they were getting rick flair and harley race and all these big names coming in it must have been an incredible learning experience too um sorry karen but I'm sorry, were you talking to me there? Yes, I said carry on. I thought you you, 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 you oh, I'm sorry. Sorry, sorry I just started <laughs> to carry on, and I was like, oh, wait. Um, <laughs> yeah, so the next was, um, all, uh, so like I was saying, All Japan, they were never going to push Tarzan Goto the, the way he, it was going. It was he, He'd been there for a couple years at this point, and they knew, hey, he needs to grow outside of us. He's, you know, this this environment, he's never going to become a main event or anything. So they sent him off to, to do an excursion, him and Akio Sato, and you're going to go to America, and when you're ready to come, uh, you know, when you're ready and maybe you're more grown and um, more established, then we will bring you back and, you know, you could be a main eventer or, so, you know, or a top guy instead. And so him and Akio Sato, they first go to Kansas City um, and he wrestles there for uh, a couple months. He actually meets his uh, future wife, Despina Matnagas. Um, he meets her in Kansas City. And then... Um, uh, um, let me see. And then, you know, he takes on the Midnight Express there. Uh, he takes, you know, he's pretty much just a tag team wrestler with Akio Sato. Um, they take on the Soul Patrol, Butch Reed and Rufus R. Jones. And after that, then it's okay, we're done with Kansas City. 
it's time to move on to another promotion. It's just what you did back then. You know, okay, mm-hmm. our time is up at this territory. Let's go to another territory. They then get in touch and, and go to Memphis. And so they join the CWA. Uh, they come in and they are introduced right away as the CWA International Tag Team Champions, which there had been a previous title prior <laughs> to them coming in. But when they came in, they were just like, hey, we're the CWA International Tag Champions. It was their first, you know, they just gave them the belts essentially to establish, hey, they're the evil foreigners and everything. And <laughs> Yeah, and so for the next couple months, they are going to be a tag team in Memphis. I will have to make a shout-out to my late friend, Scott Bowden, who encouraged me in my wrestling writing, who was a Memphis wrestling manager and a Memphis wrestling referee and wrote very much about the early days of the CWA and the championship lineage of of Memphis. And watching this was like, oh, this is amazing because we've got a match on here. The whole show is a full Memphis show for you to have a look at. But Sato and uh, Goto are on this particular show in, in thankfully, in a squash which they win. <laughs> it's a bit more competitive squash. And um, it's, it's, it's Lance Russell and it's Tojo Yamamoto. And the first regular wrestling show I got to see on a weekly basis was the old USWA, which was based on the Memphis product in the 1990s. And I saw so much of Tojo Yamamoto in the 1990s. He was also sadly no longer with us as well. Um, but it... It was great to watch this show and to see them develop as clearly a team to be reckoned with. The championships on arrival thing is uh, a very much an old school heel trick. The, the fabulous Kangaroos, Don Costello's tag team in the 1950s and 60s, basically invented lots of championships or were invented of lots of championships. The WWF US Tag Team Championships were invented for them because they just turned up with them. But it established you straight away as a championship team on a higher level. And especially as you are going to, unfortunately, receive a lot of casual racism in this particular lineup. Um, But that's the way things are. And it was very much a product of its time. It wasn't particularly great from, from from the diversity point of view, shall we say. But let's say lots of worse things happened in Memphis down the years as far as diversity is concerned. John, what's your thoughts on this match and where are they finding themselves as developing young wrestlers in the North American scene? As you said, it's um, a product of its time. And I saw, I think I laughed out loud a couple of times at just the things I was hearing said. I was like, holy <laughs> shit, uh, you won't get away with that these days. But yeah, it, it was fun watching them come in as this sort of champion caliber team they clearly had a lot of chemistry going in they had the manager doing heel manager stick but even now you can see again goto has got this like he's got wrestling down pat yeah even though he's playing into stereotypes he's striking properly he's trying to make it look as real as possible it's as you said They've gone to quite a high quality area after a run in other like states and championships and they're just they've learned and you can see that they've learned and it's it's very traditional of the scene, I guess you could say. Yeah. Yeah. I, I noticed one thing was they had on this show they had a Japanese cameraman there filming for a documentary they said. So I don't I've never seen this documentary. I'd be interested in seeing it like what was actually aired because like they said they're you know they said Lance Russell was like, Hey, there's a Japanese video guy here just <laughs> documenting us, you know, documenting Goto and Sato's match here. Like I said, I would it'd be really interested to see if that, you know, actually aired or whatnot, you know, just nineteen eighty six, you know, Japanese wrestlers in Memphis airing on a you know possibly in tv or something like that over in japan 
It is possible because I have seen things like um, Calgary used to get regularly get TV crews from New Japan to, to and all Japan women to see how, like all Japan women used to send some people on excursion to Stampede and obviously New Japan sent a lot of people on excursion to Stampede and the big the big TV crews turn up to take them. So I'm it is entirely possible that was happening. Um, and it, this also is why it's like funny you were saying that, John, about that. Lance Russell could get away with it because not only was he the producer of the TV show, he was also the weatherman and the director of the TV station. <laughs> <laughs> it's not what you know. Sorry, no, it's not who you know. It's what you know, apparently, in that case. Yes, there you go. He would also go on to be, well, he's one of the best wrestling commentators ever, but he also used to wrestle commentate for WCW when I first started watching WCW in the late 80s. Um, and was replaced by Eric Bischoff. <laughs> but there we go. Oh, if only times were changing. And indeed, they were for Taz and Goto. He also goes off to, I believe, Puerto Rico at this time, doesn't he as well, Brett, after his run in Memphis? Yeah, so after Memphis, he went to Puerto Rico. And then after Puerto Rico, uh, he went up into Florida. That was because uh, Despina's family uh, was in Florida. And so just to be closer to them and have, you know, at this point, they've had two kids have someone watch the kids and everything while uh, Goto works and uh, he joins the PWF promotion. Uh, he wrestles the likes of Mike Awesome there even. And that's where he meets a, a lot of wrestlers that actually would go on, you know, um, have connections to FMW because of through Go Tarzan Goto in Florida. He challenges uh, Steve Kern for the PWF Florida title. He loses in a steel cage match. But the problem with Florida is they're not, they don't really book him very much. And so mm. he's not getting like, a he can't live off what he's making in Florida while having a wife, while having two kids, and so he ends up having to take a job at a Chinese restaurant being a cook. And so he's, you know, pretty much that's his full time job while trying to get some bookings in Florida. But like I said, it just wasn't enough. And it gets to the point where it's not worth it anymore, um, in regards to wrestling. And so he pretty much is done being a wrestler, uh, while in Florida. And he, in his mind is like, okay, I'm just done. I'm just going to be a cook and I'm, I'm an American now. I got American a wife. I got American kids. And you know, I'm just going to be a Chinese cook for the rest of my life here uh, going forward. I think that's the interesting thing because Florida like had a reputation at the time and certainly in the previous decades of being, low on payoff but high on quality of life because you got to live in the sunshine state where taxes are low even if you weren't getting paid as much and traditionally the the florida um promoters didn't necessarily pay quite so well but terry funk loved wrestling down there dusty Rhodes loved wrestling down there eddie graham was a great promoter to work for um from a you know a learning tree perspective and how to develop characters and how to to pay or pay off big feuds um and it when i mean the graham family were still around wrestling at the time. Mike Graham was just about starting for WCW, but that philosophy is clearly still in the right, in the same place. And, you know, I also um, think, yeah, just the time frame as well. This is 1989 yeah. when kind of the, de the death of the territories are beginning, you know, or if they haven't already, you know, began. And then you add in, Hey, Tarzan Goto wasn't really like a big star or anything. Yeah. So just that mm. combo right there is like, well, I got two kids. I can't support them being a wrestler. <laughs> no, that's it. And, We've got, like, that's that's pretty much all of the excursion stuff we could find for him. Uh, but then he gets called from uh, Atsushi Anita to come and join him back in Japan for this new company he started to develop called FMW. We've documented the rise of FMW before as Anita came out of retirement to find a different way of presenting himself as a legitimate fighter to stand out from the plethora of mixed martial arts companies that started at the time 
which developed into this intriguing hybrid that would become FMW. And as the company grew, he needed a strong right-hand man to be, you know, the, the second baby face of the company, really. And a big enough name draw to be able to kind of keep things ticking along as far as uh, drawing people is concerned. And Tarzan Goto kind of fit the bill. Yeah, so uh, um, when you, when Onita called Goto, so he had pretty much established FMW, and he, he was like, I need a number two guy. And Onita and Goto were actually friends going back to All Japan. When Onita came back from his excursion, Goto was still a rookie, and Onita would help train with uh, with uh, Goto, and they just had a really like a big brother, younger brother type relationship. And so when, when Onita was like, okay, I'm going to create FMW, I mean, FMW, he didn't want to like, I want, he didn't want to steal wrestlers from other promotions. It wasn't like, oh, hey, you know, you're an undercard all Japan wrestler, come with me. He wasn't going to do that to Giant Bob or anything, but he thought, hey, you know, Tarzan Goto, he's not wrestling anymore. Let me give him a call. So he calls Tarzan, he gets a friend, uh, a acquaintance to give him Tarzan Goto's number, calls Tarzan Goto while Tarzan Goto's in Florida, and he goes, hey, Goto, do you know who this is? And Goto's like, uh, Jumbo Saruta? He's like, no, no, it's Onita. <laughs> Hey, you know, I'm starting up a new promotion. I want you to join. And Goto's like, give me a week to decide. So a week comes by and he's thinking about it. He's like, you know what? Okay, I'll wrestle one last match in Japan. I, you know, I didn't wrestle. I didn't say, I didn't have, get to say goodbye to Japan or anything. I just left. So, you know what? I will wrestle one show, you know, one show in Japan. So then he goes to Japan. Well, while he's going, while he's going there, he's like, you know, I really shouldn't half-ass this. This shouldn't be a mindset of like, oh, I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm just going to say goodbye. You know what? I need to do this. Like, I need to go all in on this. And so he decides, okay, I'm going to join this promotion full-time. But at the same time, he's going, this promotion is not going to make it that long anyway. So whatever, you know. So he goes all in. But, you know, in the meantime, he's like, I need to move to Japan. And so he convinces his wife and his kids, you know, his kids are little, but, you know, he convinces, <laughs> he convinces Despina, you know, let's be a Jap, we're going to move to Japan. And Despina's like, I'm all in with, you know, let's go. And, you know, they, but they're still super poor and everything. They can't afford a Christmas tree um, when December hits. And, you know, but Despina's like, it's cool. You know, hey, we're a Japanese family. We don't need a Christmas tree uh, anymore. Things like that. So there's definitely a completely different, you know, just change of lifestyle for all of them. Because, you know, even Goto at this point was essentially an American, you know, Japanese man living in America. And now he's going back to be a Japanese man in Japan. And so, and, you know, FMW ends up taking off and they end up staying there for many years as a result. Well, there you go. I mean, yeah, the earliest match we have on here is Matsuhiro Matsunaga and Jerry Grayman versus Atsushi Nitro and Tarzan Goto in a barbed wire match. But it's kind of like the traditional Memphis style, Dallas style barbed wire match that was popular around the time that Anita and Goto were doing their excursions. It's not the full on FMW we know. And it's still in the days of them challenging mixed martial arts uh, fighters, such as Matsunaga, who would go on to be an FMW, well, a hardcore legend, and Jerry Grayman, who was um, an intriguing choice for this particular matchup. 
<laughs> John, what yeah. do you think of this? Watch us. Sorry, Brad, do you want to comment? I was just going to say real quick. Yeah, so essentially, um, you know, the whole start of FMW was Onida versus the karate guys, like you're saying, you know, Masashi Ayagi. Uh, this was supposed to be Masashi Ayagi and Mitsuhiro Matsunaga, but Ayagi ended up getting hurt before the show. And so, yeah, they ended up bringing in Jerry Blayman, Jerry Flynn from FMW because he was another student of Ayagi to fill in for him. But the original main event was supposed to be a tag match uh, with Ayagi and Matsunaga. There you go. Jerry Flynn, of course, would go on to WCW, where he would uh, get over by wrestling not in front of people, but in the basement <laughs> of every venue they went to, which was a weird time for WCW. John, what's your thoughts on this match? Because it is literally the birthplace of the wrestling you love. So what did you think of this early days? It's a bit like me going back as a guitarist and listening to the early days of Blues Masters from old um, Wax Cylinders. For you, this is the kind of same experience watching death matches from this era. So what did you think of this? Very messy. <laughs> because of the way they've done the wire like it's it's just sort of splayed over the ropes it's you you barely look like you can get in the ring safely let alone navigate it properly and you've got these two clashes of styles all getting cut up to fuck bleeding a lot and the occasional sort of wrestling spot like, don't get me wrong, Goto looks comfortable in it, but you can sort of see that he's still trying to apply this classical wrestling mindset to an environment where it really doesn't <laughs> fit properly because there's not a whole lot of rope running that can be done when you're just going to get carved up the second you touch it. It was also quite funny watching Onita and Goto in, like, wrestling gear whilst Matsunaga and Graham are in geese and the geese end up covered in blood and it's just it's messy and it's fun it is so, so so this was actually the only time fmw ever used 100 legit barbed wire they didn't know any better and so they just barbed wire okay and then yeah Nita <laughs> gets his arm cut the fuck up from this and it's bleeding <laughs> badly in this match and afterwards they realized oh wait we don't have to use like the sharpest barbed wire as possible. We can actually take it down a notch, and that's what they would do. And I'm pretty sure all promotions do. They take it down a notch. The the not as sharp, but I mean the barbed wire still is sharp and it still can cut you. But this barbed wire they use, like it was, yeah, you you're gonna die. Wrestlers would have died if they would have just continued using this yeah. barbed wire going forward because of how sharp it was. If they'd gone to the no rope model <laughs> yeah. any any earlier, then they would have been in serious trouble. I mean, the first to give you an idea and was around about this time the first barbed wire match I saw was Steve Austin versus um oh um his Chris trainer Adam. Chris Adams yeah Steve Austin versus Chris Adams in the USWA and it was taught barbed wire um you know they did tighten it up around the rings but it was around the rings like this so you couldn't escape the idea was to keep Steve in the ring so that Chris could deal him the blow for stealing mm -hmm. his wife Jeannie um mm -hmm which he, he did um <laughs> so but this that but that's the thing and like you're looking at that particular match and it's like a slightly different setup i could see why the idea of lightly spooling it around the wing would seem less dangerous but actually it was much much worse than they anticipated um curry brat you got something to say sorry Oh, no, I, was, I guess I, um, you know, going to 
we're, we're not going to talk about it, but the, the fire death match um, with Goto and Onita versus Sabu and the Sheik, oh, they actually, um, you know, they set that ring on fire and everything, but it was a barbed wire match as well. And yeah. uh, Shoichi Arai, the FNW, future FNW owner, they were going to set it up to three different barbed wire ropes like they usually did. And Arai went to the wrestlers like, nah, take away the bottom rope. And if they hadn't taken the bottom rope away, they would have all been trapped with that ring catching on, caught on fire and the ring, you know, eventually just melting. They would have all been caught because they wouldn't have been able to get under, get out with all the barbed wire in there. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's, it, it was a nasty, nasty thing. Um, the only successful, two successful matches I've seen that used fire was in Puerto Rico. It was Carlos Colon versus uh, Hercules Elia. Which was Hot Night and By a Moon, which me and Dara reviewed a while back. I did that um, for the calendar last year as well. There you go. I suggested you watch that one because because they used like little um, baskets for like lighters, which were full of the the flammable fluid, which I assume was lighter fluid. But of course, it went out as the match went on because they ran out of lighter fluid, so it became more less dangerous, <laughs> which was very sensible, really. Um, but and I think Terry Funk had one in IWA a few years later where they'd learnt their lesson or watched the match from Puerto Rico and gone, oh, that's how you do it. Don't just set. Yeah, Wing, Wing had done it. Wing also did it pretty successfully where they kind of, well, the, what they did was, and what kind of what IWA did also was just kind of, hey, put the fire, you know, have the fire in um, time periods. And so like every so often we're going to, you know, put fire on the ropes or put fire, you know, besides mm. the ropes and everything, not just set the ring on fire and well, good, you know, have fun out there. Like FMW did. Yeah. That's it. The next match we have on the our playlist is that Sushi Unita versus Tarzan Goto against Dragon Master and Masanubi uh, Karusi. Uh, in a Texas street fight, which kind of opens the era of Kurikan Hall and FMW, which is a match made in money-making heaven, as Kurikan is packed to the rafters for every other show you see on this playlist until around about 95, because FM, they loved FMW, and the FMW crowds there were in super intense, and this match I, I picked basically because it was like, this is a good example of what Kurikan Hall kind of was growing its legend as this brilliant wrestling venue. And it was matches like this that did it. It wasn't an exploding barbed wire match. It was a Texas uh, street fight. And, you know, Dragon Master is better known as um, Kendo Nagasaki, you train Bret Hart. <laughs> and Kurosu is well known as a stiff as houses wrestler that just hits people really hard. But this is the kind of match that built FMW and built the mystique of FMW on a daily wrestling basis because obviously they can't do ridiculous like um, exploding barbed wire matches every day because people can't last like that they have to build up to those so this was the bread and butter of FMW and the kind of thing that Goto was doing on a regular basis so I wanted to install that uh, John have you got any thoughts on this particular match? Uh, it's kind of the formula we'd see for a lot of the matches on this playlist it's the sort of Four to six guys, heavy brawling, heavy shots, whilst Goto is there trying to keep everyone safe. <laughs> like this is, I think it was around this point where I was sort of just like, Jesus Christ, I never realized how good a glue guy Goto is. Yeah, It's like these brawls are obviously going off the rails. You've got Onita doing what Onita does. You've got the stiff guys doing the stiff stuff. And you've got Goto there who is, he still looks like he's laying it in. But the thing that strikes me the most is the way he does chair shots. 
Like he's mm-hmm. always grabbing the frame and doing like the side ram and the sort of safer way of like in like attacking your opponent. Again, it's this sort of pro wrestling mindset within the company where the pro wrestling mindset only got you so far. And yet here he is as one of the top guys in some of the hottest matches, keeping everyone going. It's quite the impressive feat when you think about where he is. And this match was really praised at the time because of just, you didn't see this in 1990. Um, mm. You know, four guys just brawling all over the building and fighting um, like this. Like, yeah, you see it all the time now. And you see a lot of these matches we'll see, you know, we'll talk about um, are ba- kind of a, a lot based on this. But this was kind of the first one that was really like this where like, wow. And like I said, it was really, pr- I mean, I remember Dave Meltzer gave it five stars and it, it still considered one of the top 10 FMW matches by uh, the magazine companies in Japan because it was such a trailblazer of what they were doing and what eventually became of it yeah i think so as well and you can see now it's still a very watchable wrestling match you know especially because it's so stiff you know you see we see stiff wrestling all the time now but it's like this is really stiff you know, <laughs> like curious is like laying in kicks but you do notice that goto stands out because he's working really safe and quite clearly he's trying to protect people you know his chair shots his chair shots to the back when somebody's prone on the back never touch the guy, but it looks like he's killing him. You know, it looks amazing, but if you look really closely, he's catching the mat, he's not catching the wrestler. Unlike the other people in this match, who were fr- swinging chairs freely around people's heads. So, <laughs> but there you go. Uh, I still but- think my favourite comparison is, you watch how Goto does like his finisher, which is like the, the tombstone face buster deal or how he does the fire thunder bomb and then you just look at how anita sandbags people <laughs> it's a it's another one of those sort of perfect examples of here's the one mindset here's the other but it's easier to do when you are the top guy and you can get away with it much like lance russell as a producer in uh, it's Memphis like it's not a knock States. on anita because that's obviously what people want to see from fmw hmm. It's just, it. it's one of the easiest ways to sort of see the differences between, like, Goto, the glue guy, and Onita, the boss. Yeah, that's that's the thing. The, the guy that holds things together. Speaking uh, of Goto, um, just because I mentioned it at the start of the... the I've just finished um, GCW's Tournament of Survival, and they were doing, like, the... Um, sort of talking about the Hall of Fame guys for this year and it's like the wife beater toby klein jc bailey and dewey donovan who are all like big czw guys but Mm. pondor who's doing one of the inductions was out with like a he said we've got some honorable mentions here and like tarzan goto was the first person on the list even as as i've gone back and watched through this playlist for the show and realized holy shit how much did i overlook and underappreciate goto it's like he has had an impact on the greater deathmatch world. People. Well, he also, yeah, so he had the deathmatch, but then, yeah, he could still, he could wrestle. And, you know, Onita had him be the trainer for FMW. And so uh, Goto was the one, you know, he helped train Hayabusa. He helped train Mr. Gonsuke, two, you know, and uh, Masato Tanaka. These really good wrestlers were trained by Tarzan Goto when you think, oh, he's just a brawler. And, yeah, yeah, that's what he did. But he could, he could wrestle, but. FMW, there was no reason in FMW to like let me show you my technical ability or anything like that yeah. in FMW. You know that wasn't needed, but he could definitely go if he knew, if that was ever needed of him. 
You can definitely see in the way he carries himself and the way he locks up, the way he does like the bare sort of minimum technical work required for FMW is still done with a lot of care and a lot of craft. There is. I mean, he also he's also major events on major influence on Joshi because he he trained Christian Matamori and Shark Tashir as well. You know, he was <laughs> he hid the the guy the people that came out of his dojo were astounding workers really not just for the, the time period like all-time wrestlers mm-hmm. um and it's intriguing that you know for the company that was derided at the time as garbage wrestling by certain people including giant baba they were high quality professional wrestlers like world class and they managed to find a pool of talent that really i think a lot of the things that we see in wrestling over the next 20 years, and I've mentioned this before, is ECW does not happen without FMW first. Mm-hmm. You know, the the we are going to take the leftovers and make a wrestling promotion out of it because they can't get jobs anywhere else. They're too difficult to work with. They're not the right look. They haven't got the right um, attitude. We'll take them. We'll make them into a pro wrestling company that draws money. FMW did that first. And Heyman saw that and saw what was going on. And essentially, Goto is in a similar position as Taz was for, for, for ECW, you know, the trainer of the dojo, the one of the lead draws. And there's a, there's a lot of parallels there between two people who really take their craft seriously as well. Um, also wild to think that he was going to hang it up and be a, a cook. <laughs> <laughs> that's the first time we've heard that today. So that, you know, that's it's really interesting. They're like, how the world turns and where the world will take you. The obvious opponent as well, we're not going to go through every match in this particular lineup, but we are going to talk about some of them that stand out, is the obvious opponent is Atsushi Anita, uh, because obviously Goto's the number two, Anita's the number one, and eventually those two have to run into each other. And they have one of the first exploding barbed wire matches. We haven't got that match on this this particular playlist because we've watched it before uh, for the Troopany show. Uh, on the first big show FMW did it. Um, and this one is just a standard wrestling match, but it's Kurikan Hall again. And just tells you how into it the fans were and how much they wanted their two favorites to wrestle each other and how you could see like how things had developed for the company and how they'd really gone from nothing to this rollerball of momentum that was building up around them. Um, Brett, have you any thoughts about his relationship with Anita, and especially in the wrestling sense? Yeah, so um, you were saying the exploding barbed wire match. After that happened, uh, FMW, you know, there was, I mean, FMW started October 89. The uh, exploding barbed wire death match happened in August ni- 1990. That's, you know, 10 months or so. That whole 10 months, FMW go, we don't know if we're going to make it. Like, the goal is to make it a year. Let's see if we can make it a year, and we'll go from there. Well, after the exploding barbed wire match, then it becomes, hey, wow, look, you know, magazine covers. Uh, Onita becomes wrestler of the year of 1990. Onita and Goto win match of the year for the exploding barbed wire match. FMW kind of explodes and starts to get bigger and well then explode but it was definitely a okay we're gonna make it type thing this is going we're going in the right direction and the onita goto thing they still um for this match were number one number two and but it was an established draw at this point and 
Onita was about to get into uh, the feud with the um, with the Russian uh, Grigory Verachev, who was a, a bronze judo medalist in the Olympics, and so he, he so he had set up. Okay, I'm going to beat Goto. This match with me and Goto, it is a is going to be a draw. We're going to kill each other. Then the next day, I'm going to lose to Verachev to set up my future feud with him, which will be another draw and everything. So this match is a really good match, but it's straight out just hey, I'm going to beat Goto to establish that I'm number one before I do a job to the next day. (laughs) (laughs) It's very clever storytelling, uh, which is basically the principle of how Anita was going to book things. You know, he did take big losses uh, to build the next star, build up the next um, monster of the week, I suppose. It's kind of old school WWF booking from the 1960s, isn't it? Build a monster up to knock them down. But it makes money. That's the basic principle of it. Uh, John, what's your thoughts on this match and the relationship between Onita and Goto in the ring? Well, you can tell they trust each other. Just the way they they always seem to... Well, how they fight, how they act. And yeah, as you said, it was a feud that made money, so it made sense to keep it going as long as humanly possible. It's a shame that Onita kind of jobs him out a bit at times, but I guess it's what you sign on for, isn't it? You're sort of like... Right, we built the hottest thing ever, but now we've got to move on to the next one. And unfortunately, Onita's the only one who can do it. That's the way things go when in, in the company. We also have on this playlist um, some Despina as well. She's tagging with Tarzan Goto uh, against Ricky Fuji and Megumi Kudo uh, on an FMW show from around the same time period, which I'm not sure if it's true, and Brett might, might be able to tell me, may be the first intergender wrestling match in Japan, or it have is. there been others? It is. Yeah. It's the first in first intergender wrestling match in Japan, which of course has become a bit of a bread and butter thing for DDT, uh, for various different promotions, uh, or especially the wrestling we watch and wrestling we love. Um, you know, Sue is a groundbreaking wrestler as well, and it's it, you know there's lots of stuff on here that we we just don't see anywhere else, and we've never seen before. The next match I'd like to talk about is a match that happened in Tijuana, which put. Asushi Nita and uh, Tarzan Goto tagging with El Hijo del Santo against um, Negro Casas, um, Horace Boulder, um, that's uh, Hulk Hogan's nephew, <laughs> Tim Patterson, in a match that really grabbed the attention of North American fans specifically um, because it was the first time anyone had seen anything like this in North America. It was such an insane mix of stars as well. And it's insane that it actually happens because it happens in um, a kind of like a community center sports hall where the local basketball team would play. And they have the place absolutely rocking in this match that Dave Meltzer gave five stars, this superb display of Lucha and this superb display of hardcore brawling all mixed up into one match with a crowd that are absolutely on fire as uh, FMW toured with WWA um, which was a local promotion that had done uh, a fair bit of work with CMLL because that's how they got Casas and Santo. Have you any idea how this happened, Brett? Because it seems insane. Well, yeah, this one actually uh, happened in Los Angeles, I believe, because the night before yes. they went to Tijuana. That's so. It, yeah. Yeah, so um, it was just through connections with Onita, him trying to always get, uh, I'm forgetting, he was in touch with uh, the, the the promoter. He was always in relations with WWA. That's why even their title was named the WWA Brass Knuckles title around this time period. Um, but yeah, he was in touch with um, 
the promoter and um you know O'Neill was always trying to bring in other people from other promotions and everything and you know he went to Boston to work uh against Tony Atlas one time to see if hey any northeastern wrestlers he was always about trying to bring in these other foreigners hey new fret new faces new fresh uh feuds and fights I can you know be in well sometimes hey if I'm gonna try and get some of these wrestlers I need to come over uh and this one actually was hey we're bringing the whole FNW roster so everybody you know the undercard guys the women everyone end up working both these shows um but you know and so they end up going into tijuana they end up going to los angeles um there's a story about how they were stayed at this hotel right there in los angeles but it was kind of on a really uh shady uh a really shady neighborhood and uh gunshots <laughs> are being heard by the wrestlers in the hotel and everything and so they're all freaking out not being used to this and then yeah they go to los angeles and um, you know, and have a match kind of what you were saying, you know, hey, uh, the Dave Meltzers and, and all these people from Los Angeles are freaking out going, I've never, I, you don't see this. And it's kind of like what we were talking about earlier with the 1990s Texas Street Fight match. You didn't really see that in 1990, um, mm. you know, and here now it's 1992. You still don't really see it, but now there's a bunch of people that are seeing it live. You know, again, the Dave Meltzers that can report it like, wow. And yeah, like I believe Meltzer gave this a five-star match being there live and just seeing holy crap, like, this is insane seeing it live, you know, wrestlers fighting all over the place. Joe, what's your thoughts on this matchup? Because it just is, it's just insane. It's just, like, such a clash of wrestling styles. And it's, like, absolute madman to put it together, and they were a genius. What's your thoughts on this one, John? It's like, what happens if I hit random on Fire Pro Wrestling? <laughs> it's... As you said, it it's so random and chaotic and anarchic, and yet, again, you feel compelled to watch it. It's it's one of these things. As you like, we're aware of like six man brawling now, but to have and the sort of international nature of wrestling, or at least we were until this horrible thing called COVID nineteen hit, and now we have to relearn it all over again. But <laughs> to see the sort of historical matches like this where everyone's losing their shit because of how many different people are under the same roof fighting each other is quite something it is I, i'm a big fan of horace boulder in this particular area of fmw um i thought it, it was still really good makes me laugh no it matter is, how many times we cover fmw shows and i hear the name horace bald it's just the most american sounding thing ever <laughs> <laughs> it is but he was really really good that was matches at Kawasaki Baseball Stadium tagging with um, Mike Awesome and Titan. They were ace. I love those matches. I mean, objectively, they were terrible wrestling matches, but they just had everybody in the palm of their hands, and they were heels. And who doesn't love that, watching people being cheered for doing cool stuff? <laughs> but anyway, let's just move on. Uh, the next match we have on the list, which I did want to talk about, was Terry Funk and Tarzan Goto uh, tagging up against the she original Sheik, and uh, his nephew Sabu, which kind of highlights how far FMW would come. I think this was 93, yes. Yeah, so this is 93. We're four years into the FMW phenomenon, and this is a really good wrestling match, but mixes all of those elements you were talking about, Brett. It's got cutting-edge professional wrestling, it's got established stars, and it's got legends all mixed into one match. Um, what do you think of Goto in this particular time period? Is he kind of like surfing the waves of trying to keep everything together as far as FMW is concerned and still like a major influence on the company 
Um, because obviously Anita's being the big star and Goto is the kind of glue guy, as me and John have talked about, is keeping everything together. Yeah, he's the number two guy. Um, you know, not only on, t- on top of being the trainer, he was the guy that made sure everyone was on the bus. He he's kind of like the mom of FMW, where hey, you need to be here at this time. You need to, you know, here's the like always or- making sure everything was organized. He was at the front of the bus for everything to make sure everyone was on it, type thing. Like he, again, he was just kind of like the mom on top of everything um, of FMW on top of training them so um as far as this match though um that i wanted to kind of add this terry funk thing so the onita terry funk match had already happened the exploding ring match happened in may and the whole thing with uh that match was set up because onita was like hey i promise if you know if you stop if you ask giant baba for permission to leave all japan and come work fnw and you job to me then i'm gonna book you for fnw like regularly like every month or every other month you'll get booked okay i love you terry so he ends up doing the job to uh you know onita and may this is the first and only time that onita would book terry funk on the t- on a tour for fnw um kind of figuring well it's a stadium you know stadium show is on this tour i'll book him there that's the only other time he ended up booking terry funk throughout fmw uh for you know at least for the next year plus or so and um but yeah it's you know sabu and Sheik and goto and funk and it is a brawl let's just go out and brawl because (laughs) the next match was going to be an exploding barbed wire uh cage match with onita and pogo so two they knew two completely different style of matches that were going to happen and uh this was really entertaining though i thought I think so as well. I just like, like you know, this is like Vince McMahon's idea of a palate cleanser before the main event. Let's have four of the biggest stars in the industry kill each other. <laughs> yeah, there's a really uh, funny scene where, sorry, there's a really funny scene where just Goto is just choking the Sheik out with his hands. <laughs> it's, it's, like, it's an idea, it's just stabbing each other. I was uh, Brian Solomon, uh, former WWE writer, uh, or writer for WWE magazine or WWF magazine. I interviewed him not long ago and he's done a, a brilliant biography of the Sheik. Uh, you should go and have a look at that because it's uh, listen, dear listener, go go have a look at his book because it's it's really cool. And I think he does talk about the FMW period of his life as well. Um, but I messaged him about that. <laughs> hey, I'm watching Solomon. I'm watching the Sheik uh, stab people of a Saturday morning. He said that's the way to start your day. So yeah, um, John, what's your thoughts on this particular matchup? Because it it's, it oozes star power and it's chaotic. It again, it's it's so weird how FMW works, isn't it? Because it's like that's the palate cleanser. Yeah. Four big names, <laughs> four reliable hands, all just like, yep, let's go kill each other for a few minutes until everything gets called off. And it's so kind of funny in a way, because as you said, it's violent, it's bloody, it's stabby, it's chalky, it's all your favorite Sesame Street characters. <laughs> <laughs> Again, you have to sort of take a step back and realise how batshit it all is. It is. And, you, you know, it'll be on a card where you've seen at least one lucha match, probably involving aliens. Um, four or five Joshi matches. Match. No, it wasn't an alien death match. There wouldn't be an alien death match. There might be an alien in a lucha match. Oh, sorry, no. It's not a luchador as an alien. But, you know, it's just like such a variety act that FMW become. But there comes a point where right, we're going to get serious, and this is the match that gets us serious. And I think that's the kind of like, yeah, from from, from the, looking at the super cards of the time, there's like a cutoff point just after the halfway point. It's like, right, now we're going to get down to the nitty gritty of the serious street fights, and this is what really matters within that. Yeah, Onita said like, 
FNW shows were kind of like a toy box where you just dump a whole bunch of toys out. They're all different. And that's what FNW was like. Hey, yeah, there's going to be a women's match. There's going to be a lucha match. There's going to be a street fight match. Then there's going to be an explosion match. Things like just everything is going to, you know, there's going to be, uh, an, you know, two kickboxers fighting. And that's just, especially the stadium shows, that's what these cards were, where just everything was different. I think so. And it's something that Glate are trying to do now. You know, but with less violence, just like take the take the toy box of Joshi, uh, shoot fighting, lucha, lucha, uh, Japanese lucha, straight up strong style, bit of King's Road. Let's have a let's have a wrestling card, and that's what I really greatly appreciate about Glate. But it, and Glate is trying to emulate the great wrestling of the 1990s, which I think they see FMW as part of that. Um, and they're you know they're the only serious company since FMW to do. Joshi within itself on the same roster. I know DDT have Joshi wrestlers, but it's kind of a different thing, if you see what I mean. But they have a Joshi division within the company, which no other wrestling company has done. And I think that's really intrigued me because it's in the FMW model as well. Um, but yes. That um, just got me thinking about if Glit did death matches and I want to see our Linderman versus Taru Sagira. <laughs> oh, I'm saying off again. <laughs> but yes. Um, also, in this particular time period, FMW, as uh, Brett was saying, are working with as many people as they can, and they're building up to a massive match with Genichiro Tenru. Um, and next on the card is the entire show that sets up that particular angle, which is War Revolution Rumble 1994. Um, War with Genichiro Tenru's promotion. We've looked a lot of their cards. The whole card's on there for you, and it's quite a cool card. There's loads of different cool stuff on it. Um, because they had lots of different cool wrestlers on it, including Haku and Mr. Hughes in a match where no one sold anything for 10 minutes and 36 seconds, no doubt. Um, but uh, this was an incredible promotion because it was backed by the power, drawing power of Junichiro Tenryu, who was the first person to leave All Japan uh, with the first exodus uh, of All Japan Pro Wrestling in the late 1980s, early 1990s. Um, and also backed by Vince McMahon, who had helped put money into promotion and because of uh, Tenru's massive drawing power, was able to keep the company well-stocked with good wrestlers and had an incredible junior heavyweight division, uh, which we'll talk about shortly. Uh, but this particular match is quite breathtaking in its execution. It's a proper All Japan-style wrestling match because it's got proper All Japan-style wrestlers in it. Brett, this was the biggest angle really in FMW history. How did it come about? Yeah, I mean, it was just um, they had Kawasaki Stadium coming up. That they needed to fill it. You had Terry Funk last year. How are you going to be able to kind of one-up that and, and make it a successful show? And the, uh, FMW reached out to war, and they came up with a uh, working agreement. And at this time, Onita is hot. Like, he is a full-on celebrity in uh, he, in Japan. He is known. Like, he's not at Tenru's level because Tenru is just so well-established throughout the years. But, I mean, I, I, you know, so he's not a bigger wrestling star, but he might be a bigger, like, TV star at this point, even just because he's out doing talk shows and everything like that. So he's kind of, you know, this is Onita's peak right now. And so, and this is, but it's also Tenru's peak. Tenru has just defeated Antonio Noki at the Tokyo Dome on January 4th. And mm. so they end up setting up a deal where, okay, Onita's going to pin Tenru uh, for this war show, help draw this war show, FNW versus War. Uh, it sells out Sumo Hall, and Onita's going to get the pin in a tag match, which will then set up 
um, the Kawasaki Stadium match between Onita and Tenru in a singles match, and but but because Onita pinned Tenru in the tag match, and like I said, it's, this is a hot match. This is really good. Um, it won match of the year again. So again, Tarzan Goto wins another match of the year uh, <laughs> for 1990 and 1994. So, you know, oh, he's just a He's got two match of the year awards on his belt. Um, anyway, Onita pins Tenru and everyone's thinking, well, Onita pinned Tenru in the tag match. Obviously Tenru is going to win the, uh, the singles match. Like you're not going to have Tenru lose twice. Well then that, so that makes Onita go, okay, you know what? I'm going to retire if I lose the singles match at Kawasaki stadium. And that, you know, on top of Onita versus Tenru, now you have, wait, Onita might retire. And that ends up drawing over 50,000 people for the singles match at Kawasaki Stadium, outdoing the Onita-Terry Funk match the year prior, even. Which is really interesting, because you technically could only fit 35,000 people into Kawasaki Baseball Stadium. (laughs) They could do seats and everything, the arrangements of the seats and everything. Uh, It's a 30,000-seat building for uh baseball but if you you throw fifteen thousand just chairs on the floor no (laughs) big entrance or anything you you know (laughs) can you imagine what the rental bill is for fifteen thousand chairs yeah (laughs) well you make it 50 to 70 to 100 dollars on them so because they're close up so yeah that's it it's true absolutely ignore any blood and barbed wire fragments on them just for the (laughs) thing that they dug out from under the ring just like yes what did you think of this match, John? Because it is a superb professional wrestling match, and it really does show off how good Goto is. Yeah, I I couldn't agree more. I I was captivated by this one. Like with some of them, I'd like flick through just because time is a fickle mistress, and there were twenty two <laughs> videos on this playlist. But I couldn't even I couldn't skip a second of this one. It was so bloody good. It was just. Yeah. As you said, proper wrestling match, all Japan style, very physical, very hard hitting, very intense. It's just all the ingredients to make like a brilliant main event match. And it just works. And again, you've got Goto doing a lot of the heavy lifting. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's just so technically good and such a good glue wrestler, as you see in this particular match. And it's there's a certain grace about him as well, you know, like coming off the top rope and the way he does things is very slick and very professional. And you can see him really taking pride in his work in this match because it's not just a straight up brawl. It's a proper old school Kings road match. It's kind of, this would not have been out of place like on a, on an old Japan card in the same mid nineties, you know, it's that kind of level of professional wrestling. As Brett said, it's one match of the year because people were involved in it. It made people believe, and that's what professional wrestling is supposed to be about. And just to sort of silence anything now, just in case, we're not just saying all these nice things because he's died. Like, as he is very easy to overlook in the grand scheme of things. So going back, watching all these old matches for the purpose of seeing what Goto does, what Goto brings to the table, it's mind-blowing. Just how much shit he basically keeps afloat in matches. Like, yeah. this isn't some blow, blowing smoke up his ass ceremony or some fucking cashing in on someone's passing. No, he he is this damn good. Yeah, and, he is. Yeah, is... and, I'll, and Go I'll be honest, there's some matches later on in this list that are like, I'm like, oh, I tried watching them and they're not good because... After yeah, this is we're talking about his peak right now. This is his prime. He had a you know he was really good. 
yeah, towards the later end, he kind of got overweight. He kind of got, I don't need to, you know, go all out. I'm, you know, working the indies and whatnot. He wasn't that great of a worker later on. I mean, as far as honesty and everything. And like I said, there are some bad matches here later, you know, on this list even. But we're talking about this peak, 1990 to 1994. These are great matches, and he helped make them great matches. Very much so. We're going to move on, though, to 1995. And... uh Mr. Taz Angoto finds himself in a difficult position with FMW and decides to move on to IWA. Uh, the next match on our card is a match with him and Mr. Ganesuke tagging against the world-class tag team, Ghetto and Jeddo, which we'll talk about in a second. But I want to cover this. What led to Goto leaving FMW, Brett? Because he seemed so secure in the company at the time. Well, there were big-time issues with Onita and Goto around this point. Um, there were They had some issues a couple years earlier. It was kind of like a divorce, essentially. And they were not talking towards the end. Um, essentially, what happened was uh, Tenru reached FNW and War, still working together about a year later. So Tenru goes, hey... Uh, Goto, come to come work a show with me, you know, Sumo Hall, uh, March 26th at Sumo Hall. I'm going to beat you. You're going to get paid really well, though. Probably paid better than anything you're getting paid in FNW. Goto goes, yes, yes, please, I will do that. Onita finds out about that and goes, no, you're not going to job to Tenru. Wait, you're supposed to main event my retirement because Tenru beat Onita, and that, you know, that's mm. to set up Onita retiring the, the next year. Onita's about to have the biggest match of, you know, biggest show of his career, his retirement, May 5th, 1995, against Goto. That's who he scheduled as his opponent. Go, You can't just be jobbing a month prior to um, – you know, my match with you. and But Onita doesn't say that. That's what Onita's thinking, though. But he goes, <laughs> he goes, but no, we have an FNW show that day, which was a, the smallest FNW show they ran all year, ironically enough. It didn't even, it was just this field that didn't even have a thousand people there. But he goes, you can't skip an FNW show. You're booked here, you know, for our promotion. So Goto is forced to miss out on probably the biggest payday. He would probably got paid more against Tenru than he would have even against the Onita uh, for the Onita retirement match um, because Onita was taking so much of that profit uh, for that show. Mm. So Goto is pissed off. Then there's some kind of there's stuff that hasn't been there's never really been reported and whatnot. Um, Mr. Ganesuke came out to kind of clear because to the Japanese media until this last year, it, you would go, what was, you know, nobody knows the real reason why he left. <laughs> like, it was a secret, and Goto goes, I'm going to take it to my grave. Well, Mr. Ganesuke uh, started a YouTube channel last year, and he ended up just <laughs> spoiling the, what happened. But essentially, uh, Ganesuke says is, um, Onita had a con had a locker room meeting with the FNW wrestlers, but did not invite Goto and was like, Hey, just letting you know when I leave FNW, Shoishi Arai is going to take over. And, and Goto, you know, I've said he worked the dojo. He worked, he was the guy at the, on yeah. the, at the front of the bus, making sure everyone's on time. He is going to not have any of those positions anymore. He is going to uh, just be a wrestler. And that and Ganesuke, who uh, again is a Goto student, gets pissed off about the wait. You're gonna tell us this and not tell Goto that Ganesuke w goes running to Goto. Did, you know this is what Onita just told me, and this is what's going to happen. You know, and and Goto didn't even know. So they had this um, meeting the next day, and 
It's a three-hour meeting with Arise. You know, again, everything's changing. Onita's leaving FMW. Arise is going to take over. Arai wants Hayabusa to be the star, but Hayabusa also can't really, and Hayabusa knows this, he does. He can't be the star with Goto there because Goto's never going to job to Hayabusa, and they're going to be kind of like this FMW light promotion without Onita, without Onita, with Goto yeah. there. And so they know they kind of need to make a change here, and but they can't fire Goto, but again, they kind of, so they strip him all, of all his duties. And so anyway, they have this meeting, and Goto, or sorry, Gonosuke in the meeting goes, you know, after three hours of them talking about all this, he goes, that's enough. I'm going to quit. I'm going to quit wrestling. This is bull, what you guys are doing to Goto. And, you know, it's at a time where you can't, he's thinking he can't just go to another promotion. He goes, I'm going to quit wrestling. And Goto goes, if you quit wrestling, I'm quitting wrestling too. You're standing up for me. I'm going to stand up for you, and we're going to both leave. And so they announce they are leaving FMW together two weeks prior to uh, the Kawasaki Stadium show. Again, would have been the biggest, was the biggest FMW show ever, which then Hayabusa ends up taking that spot against uh, Onita in place of Goto. And so, you know, Goto and Gonosuke are like, okay, we've quit wrestling. Well, do we really need to quit wrestling? Like, <laughs> IWA, IWA Japan contacts them and, um, you know, hey, we heard you're, you know, Victor Quinones. Hey, we heard you're out of FMW. You know, you're a big draw, Goto. Let's negotiate. We can bring you in. So Gonosuke and Goto, they agree. They're going to be freelancers technically, but they're going to work full time for IWA Japan. But being the freelancers, they can work these war shows as well and whatnot. But um, anyway, they uh, that's what set up this Jado Ghetto match uh, in war. They were freelancers, but essentially, yeah, they were going to be full-time IWA Japan wrestlers going forward. And just a real quick interesting thing, IWA Japan was kind of born based off Wing Dying, the uh, rival mm. of FMW. And Mitsuhiro Matsunaga would have left FMW following this Onita retirement show and gone to IWA Japan. But once he found out Goto was going to IWA Japan, he goes, nope, never mind. I'm going to stay in FMW. And so things would have changed also if just Goto had stayed the course and stayed with FMW. But anyway, a lot of it's just drama. A lot of it, you know, there's been rumors. And like I said, it was a 20-year secret of what happened until Mr. Ganesuke came out last year and, and said all this. I mean, it's, it's amazing how those things happen. It was like um, the, the Ricky Chosu leaving New Japan in the early 80s thing, which was everyone thought it was a shoe that he'd just walked out of the company. And then uh, Kiyeji Muto and Masahiro Chono were doing like this like little head-to-head -head chat for a YouTube video or something for, I think it was for All Japan or something. And they just blurted out, oh yeah, it, it, it was, it was um, Inoki's idea. <laughs> and then and then they went to then they went to Baba and Baba went yeah all right then <laughs> it's like so there's this massive secret just kind of blurts out in this this kind of like this Chono and uh, Muto no longer care <laughs> it doesn't matter who be upset now so it's well okay. I guess. Yeah, like I said though, Onita and Goto, even prior to this, that whole Tenru thing, him not making like go like they were no longer on speaking terms. They yeah. really did not like each other because Goto was so pissed off. You just took my biggest payday of the year with that. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. And that's that's how wrestling works, because people need to make a living. Um <laughs> yes, the car match we have in question is Jado and Ghetto versus um of course Tarzan Goto and uh, Mr. Ganesuke. Uh, of course, Jado and Gato would go on to FMW and have long careers there before they went to New Japan Pro Wrestling. It's funny how the wrestling world works, but there you go. Uh, John, what's your thoughts on this match? Because it's another bit of a wrestling classic. 
It's still weird seeing Jiro and Gero with hair. <laughs> just see, I've seen I them see so them. much with hair that it's weird for me to not see them with hair. Yeah. The present day Jiro and Gero weirds me out more than the blonde and the brown hair. See, it's the other way around for me because I always saw like modern day before I saw older day. So it's kind of just like, you're both bald now, technically. <laughs> yeah. always, but yeah, as you said, wrestling classic and another one you can't really complain about. It's just really good tag wrestling with really good tag wrestlers. It was over. They had a lot of great heat too, by the way. Although they were full on. This this was the time of period when they had t-shirts which were just read, fuck you, we're Gator and Jetto. <laughs> which is the best wrestling t-shirt ever. <laughs> just like, they did not care. Absolutely did not care. And they wrestled like they didn't care. And they wrestled for anybody. And that's what makes them great bookers is because they just didn't stick with one style. They were the first wrestlers to just like go we're going to work for whoever we'll make a living we'll see where it takes us they learned so much and then they've just poured it all out like i see like uh you look at um uh bullet club and you look at the funk wrestling army two very similar ideas and who was in fmw around that time or watching what was going on in fmw suddenly it was ghetto and jado and the basic principle of the funk wrestling army in in the late 90s was disgruntled gaijins who had problems with the front office Bullet club, there you go. <laughs> you know, and it's like they, and it's what great, you know, great promoters do. They rewind ideas that have been used before, put their twist on it, and make it fresh. Because it's only so many things you can do in a wrestling promotion. But there you go. Um, IWA itself was an intriguing mix of comedy and wrestling and all sorts of things, not just violence. Um, the first proper IWA match we have is the uh, bathhouse death match, which which pits Tarzan Goto and Mr. Ganesuke against Kasiki Yamada and Shogi Nakamak um, in the bathhouse death match, which we found out was Brett's first Japanese wrestling match you saw. Yep, 1997. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. And um, it's it, it's good and terrible, John. <laughs> it, it's the funniest, yeah, most awkward death match I've ever seen. Because they are just fighting in an actual bathhouse. And they've got their own little locked off bit at first. And then after a certain point, they're just like, right, fuck this, we're moving on. They open a door and just burst into like another bathing area, which is just full of women who have been trying to go about their daily lives. And are now just all on camera with like I, everything out. <laughs> I do hope that they were paid models. I'm I, out. I would I'd like so. to hope so. But I would like to think so. It's just yeah, this is asked. filmed... Yeah, this was filmed by a movie producer, Terry Ito. So he did a couple of these, and it was essentially like filmed like a movie. So it was all set and planned and everything. Oh, that's, that's good. Okay. Uh, that makes me feel slightly better. Now. <laughs> Thank fuck that they didn't just barge their way into a bathhouse, start fighting, and scare a bunch of people. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, um, there's also a bunch of other IWA matches we've got on this playlist. Um, Can I just talk about my favorite one? I'll go on then. Goto versus Dan Seven is fucking incredible. I was going to get to that in a second. Oh, good. I just wanted to quickly mention that, you know, we also have the barbed wire board match featuring Midian or Phineas I. Godwin from the WWF, which is Dennis Knight. I'd like to point that. That's on the playlist as well. Uh, I sent that to the guys at uh, Random Wrestling Review who do love a good Phineas I. Godwin match. And uh, Ben Spindler told me, you watch too much they wrestling. Had, they had <laughs> 
they had actually promoted uh, Dennis Knight as Tarzan Goto's brother-in-law as if he was Despina's uh, wife, which was so random. I actually believed it at the time hearing that, but upon like actual review, like, oh, wait, no, he's not. But it's like, why would you just think, like, oh, yeah, Dennis Knight and, and Despina Montanaga, sure. Yeah, they're brother and sister, sure. And then they're like, oh, wait, no, they're not. That's just a work thing. I got worked. Yeah, no, I still want. <laughs> it's a really weird barbed wire as well, though. Again, the boards just don't look right. Well, because it's three mil ply, and the trouble with barbed wire boards is barbed wire stores flatten out, so they look even more horrible. It looks really impressive when they're looped up, but of course, as soon as two people have landed on them, they don't look as impressive, and they look far more dangerous because you're landing on spikes, which have got nothing to like cushion your blow as you land. That match also shows off one of my favourite things that Goto does. Because he does it with boards and he does it with tables. And he just picks them up whole hog and throws them at you. Or smashes them down on you. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Well, we'll move on to what could be arguably the biggest match of Goto's career. Um, Along with Victor Quinez, IWA also found an affiliation with National Wrestling Alliance, and the National Wrestling Alliance champion at the time was Dan the Beast Severin, former UFC champion, Um, and at the King of Deathmatches tournament at Kawasaki Baseball Stadium, Tarzan Gonato got his opportunity to challenge for the NWA Heavyweight Championship of the World, a belt that, as he was growing up, he would have considered to be the number one championship in professional wrestling. Have you got any stories on this? Because obviously this is a wrestling date that has been well documented in infamy because it's the king of death matches. It was in McFarlane's biography. Um, have you got anything to, you could say about this, Brett, as far as the Severin uh, connection with the IWA? Because it seems, again, bizarre that Severin ends up on this card defending the championship against Goto. Yeah, no, they were just working together at the time. Um, Goto, actually, the month prior, went to uh, wrestled, I believe, to Jiri on an NWA stadium show, which like had a couple hundred people in New Jersey uh, the month prior. And so, yeah, NWA, NWA and IWA Japan were working together. I'm guess going to guess through uh, Victor Cornones. I don't know that for a fact. But uh, interesting thing, I, I uh, met Dan Severn, and I asked him about this match. And he goes, yeah, you know, we didn't meet prior or anything like that. It was just he knew he was going to win, and they but they worked the match straight through. And it was we went in with the mindset, we're going to kill each other. And so everything is just them going at it one on one, like just like legit beating each other up as much as you know you could without severely injuring somebody. But they knew this is going to be a war. That's the whole mindset of what the match was with uh, Severn winning. But yeah, like they went into it going, we're going to beat the crap out of each other, and it lives in emphasis, emphasis, emphasis based off just how you know I want to say reckless, but it's just how chaotic it is. Yeah, because it's not it's not. Um... It's stiff. It's really, really stiff. Um, the version we've got has got uh, American commentary on it and has done the thing which I really hate, which where they say, well, this is a shoot halfway through, which it was kind of. They but it's like 50 times. And it's like, don't say that because that means the other stuff we're watching wasn't real. <laughs> <laughs> so if you're a non-wrestling fan, you don't know what the hell they're talking about. And if you're a wrestling fan, you go in, so you're saying the previous bits that we watched were not real. Why did you need to say this out loud? You keep that in your head. Um, but it, it really is very stiff indeed. But that's kind of where Severin was when he became a good wrestler. It was the NWA's, we need a shoot champion to go back to the days of Blue Thez, uh, which wasn't a bad idea, considering the fact that 
quite rightly, the number of times they could have got double-crossed in this particular time period. Um, but there was Dan Severin, there was Gary Young, um, and a couple of others who were proper hard shooters. Uh, but obviously, Severin's the most famous of them as well. John, you said this is your favourite match of Goto's. Well, it's my favourite match in the playlist. It's just so chaotic and so stiff and so ridiculously violent. Just as someone who grew up loving Dan Seven matches, it's it's weird seeing him in IWA Japan beating the shit out of Goto and Goto beating the shit out of Seven. It's like <laughs> a lot of the time when Seven wrestles someone, it's like Seven is twelve levels above you. He is going to kill you. Try to survive. <laughs> but in this match, it was very much just a case of these two equal foot and going to kill each other, like. <laughs> and it's just great I was sort of like when you sent me the playlist I sort of looked through some of the videos and like recognise that one recognise that one recognise that one is that Dan Seven? and then yeah. once I got to it I was like holy shit he is straight up wrestling Dan Seven I mean it's, uh, holding yeah. his own I think this is the thing is he got this match got overlooked because the main event was Terry Funk versus McFoley in Double hell, death, exploding barbed wire. Needed the a ladder to finish. Yes, in the everything goes wrong death match, which did end with a bit of a damp squib, and everyone shattered so they didn't pop for the finish. But <laughs> having said that, because it, it because it the match grew in fame afterwards, this match kind of got overlooked. But this was the advertised main event draw because it was they couldn't advertise the final. You know, and everyone pretty much figured out it was going to be Terry Funk versus Mick Foley. But they couldn't advertise that because that would have to give away the tournament. So this was the one that actually drew the money. And, you know, they helped put 35,000 people in Kawasaki Baseball Stadium, which is no mean feat, is it really? Um, but yeah, uh, we also have Tarzan Goto versus Cactus Jack, who for the IWA World's Heavyweight Championship, in which uh, Cactus Jack earned very much more than his $300 for this particular match because this was really, really stiff. Um, you got any thoughts on this one, Brett? Yeah, uh, McFoley actually just wrote about uh, this match today on Facebook, like as kind of his uh, tribute to uh, Tarzan Goto, because he said, you know, I'm known for my match with Terry Funk, but I wrestled Tarzan Goto way more. Like I was wrestling Tarzan yeah. Goto every night, and you know, and and uh, this match. He looks really good. Like, you know, I'm, I guess I'm just so used to 98, 99, you know, 2000, even post 2000 Foley. But like, holy crap, Foley is bumping the hell out <laughs> during this match. He's <laughs> jumping all over the place and getting thrown off the top to the outside. But like um, these guys, I mean, again, it's kind of the Severn uh, Goto thing where it's like, OK, we're going to beat. The, we, you know, we don't. They don't talk beforehand because just at this time you you didn't uh, plan your matches in Japan you know prior you didn't see the guy until you got to the ring you know they such kayfabe heels stayed on one side baby faces stayed on the other mm. side of the building then you go to the ring and you fight so they didn't plan any of this out and it was just kind of working together as the match goes on and you know like I said this was kind of Cactus Jacks uh, stood out really well for this match but again I mean I thought this was a great brawl absolutely this is this is class stuff you know. Uh, Mick in this particular time period, he, he doesn't have bad matches. You know, he's, he's kind of like, he wasn't really bothered about, um, you know, putting on, like, earning money for the big companies. He'd stopped worrying about getting big contracts and was trying to make as much money as he could. And in Japan, he could make as much money as he could, really. 
uh, on tours where he wasn't working for the big, big companies, but he, like he said, he was getting a lot of professional satisfaction from being the top gauge in IWA. And you could tell he was enjoying his wrestling more than anything. And in this match, him and Goto were really going for it. John, what's your thoughts on this one? Yeah, I, I just sort of, I think I said, ouch, audibly several times. <laughs> like, as you said, Cactus Jack is, it's prime Cactus Jack. It's some of Foley's best work. And again, he's working his ass off alongside Goto, who's working his ass off. And the pair are just putting together another really violent sort of very physical like title match. It's supposed to be a big deal and they make it feel like a big deal. And yeah. So many of these matches, it's just like you can't complain because you're getting exactly what you want, which is physical, violent, high stakes action. (laughs) Um, I was going to say, what what are we going to next? I'm trying to remember what we've got. But I think really we probably should talk about the kind of like the end of the IWA as a big deathmatch company because Victor Quinez kind of moves out of the picture and it I want to say it, it doesn't go bad because they still have big cards for quite some time but they're not like focusing so much on the deathmatches by the time you get to the early to mid 2000s you know they become much more of a different company um, you know, six even it changed um I mean just they kind of lost like they stopped doing tv a lot so um, I mean, they still were running Corgan. Yeah, so, you know, the Kawasaki Stadium show, and then they they had a couple shows um, at the end of 95 where it's like Cactus and Smother, Tracy Smothers against Goto and Ghanis Gay. And, you know, it's still like a legitimate company. And then 1996 hits, and they're still running Corgan shows. They just stopped taping. And they're you're, so no one's seeing these shows. You just have to go live. And, and as a result, kind of history gets lost based off, all, you know, all the stuff that they were doing. They brought in Tiger G sing and everything and no one remembers that no one knows that type thing <laughs> maybe for the better <laughs> tiger g sing but none of these shows get taped and so you know mick foley still worked iwa japan until march 96 and um you know right before going to wwf he was still working shows there but um you know it's just not remembered because they just lo- they just stopped doing commercial videos and and everything and then like you said victor quinone has left f uh he got into a thing with the presidents, and so he leaves, um, joins FMW, brings the headhunters and all his guy, all his foreign guys with him, and then there's just these couple months of IWA Japan where, uh, yeah, it's, and this this isn't good, and uh, and uh, and Tarzan Goto, um, you know, Tarzan Goto is blamed for a lot of this. A lot of people blame Tarzan Goto for this kind of uh, IWA Japan just kind of falling apart because they pushed him so hard, and they felt like uh, a lot of people now in hindsight go, well, he wasn't the guy. Like, okay, yeah, he was a good number two, but IWA Japan made him the guy, and as a result, you know, just profit wise, 1996, they weren't, they didn't do that good, even though they were still a full time promotion, but. Um, um, a- after a while, they end up, okay, you know what, we're going to leave IWA Japan, Go- Goto, Ganasuke, they leave IWA Japan in October 96, okay, you guys, you you know, there's disputes and everything, and you you do your own thing then, and they leave, and IWA J- Japan becomes a completely different promotion after that, and Goto and Ganasuke, they're doing independence and everything, and then there's news that there's going to be a new promotion, um, Tokyo Pro, which was another independent, they've closed down. The, but the promoter goes, I'm going to start up a bigger promotion. Uh, it's called, it's going to be called FFF. And I want, you know, Goto, Ganasuke, Fuyuki's supposed to be in it, Yoji Anjo, 
uh, Masio Orohara is going to be in it. It's going to be a full, you know, bigger independent promotion. And then he goes, actually, I don't have any money left, guys. So they actually announced the show, the very first show, and then they can't even hold the very first show. Uh, so it dies before its very first show. And Ganesuke goes, okay, this sucks. I want to go back to FMW. Goto, will you allow me to go back to FMW? And Goto goes, yes, go back to FMW. Now there's FMW wrestlers that tell me Goto was trying to get into FMW as well, but he that didn't happen. But I don't know. I can't confirm that 100% or anything. But mm-hmm. then it just becomes Tarzan Goto just kind of scouring the independence pretty much. Uh, decent sized <laughs> independence. At the time, ninety-seven, you know, and he and he actually does get his uh, main event at Sumo Hall against Tenru in ninety-seven uh, for War, where he loses to Tenru. But yeah, pretty much here going forward, it's going to be you know at least these next couple years, ninety-seven, ninety-eight, ninety-nine. It's going to be him in the independent, you know, Corrigan main event uh, independent promotions. Yeah, we have um, we have a tag match which features. Um... Uh, Tazan Gozo and Ryo Miyaki against Shinji Nakano and Masashi Mategi from WDF as Wrestle Factory, um, and a main event of Tazan Goto versus Chainsaw Charlie. That Chainsaw Charlie, Terry <laughs> Funk. <laughs> Which is, yeah, what, that, that was a Wally Yamaguchi show. It was like this independent thing, but he, Wally Yamaguchi, you know, he was with uh, Kai and Tai Do, you know, in WWF, so he had WWF connections at the time, and yeah, so they ended up booking a show where it's uh okay we're gonna get terry funk but he's got to go as chainsaw charlie because that's his gimmick in wwf right now that's the, that's the thing it is just like well yamaguchi just the glue that held independent wrestling together in japan for so long you know i'm just such a star of a human being you know he was he was manager in wwf but he also like he helped ajw he helped fmw obviously michinoku pro where he started he was a photographer, he was a reporter, he was a booker, he, you know, he's it's, it's just, he had his fingers in so many pines in independent wrestling, and I suppose he's also a big part of the Goto story in that sense as well, because he was everywhere in that particular time period, um, and, you know, magazine publisher, magazine editor, he did everything that wrestling needed to make the promotions go work, even in that brilliant brilliant match with Akira Hokuto and Shinobi Kandori in 1994 at Wrestle Dream. He was the one that bladed Akira Hokuto because she wasn't <laughs> sure how to do it properly. <laughs> That's how like influential he was as a referee and everything else. Um, and Dean Ormark, who is a veteran of British professional wrestling, um, I was talking with him over Twitter because he was really sad when Molly Gamiguchi passed away because he refereed most of the matches he had in Japan. You know, uh, when he went to Japan, he was like, you know, well, he was one well, of was the guy that got me there, and you know, he looked after me whilst I was there. He was a referee. You know, he was he even in Wally's retirement, he well later years, not his retirement, but he didn't ever stop retiring. Um, but you know, even his later years, he was a massive influence on Japanese wrestling just because of being there. Really, um, have you got any thoughts on the Goto Charles Ch- Ch- <laughs> Chainsaw Charlie match, John? Um. Again, it's it's just fun. There's sort of, it's not quite as hyped, I guess, as some of the other matches on this playlist. There's a smaller crowd, but again, Goto seems to be having fun and just wants to wrestle, so he wrestles. <laughs> it, yeah, it's... and this isn't a well-known match or anything, because I uh, when I posted it, 
people are like, what? I didn't know this happened. Chainsaw Charlie wrestled in Japan. So this is kind of like a rare thing because it was, like I said, it's a Wally Yamaguchi show. It wasn't a FMW or IWA Japan. So it's not it, it's not really well known. So I wanted to add this to the playlist just because, like, yeah, hey, this happened. There you go. Yeah, I was very much of the mindset of, like, why is he Chainsaw Charlie? <laughs> and then, obviously, I saw the Kai and Tai guys at the end. I'm like, ah. There you go. Yes. You have to watch it to the end because you see everything, including another person we see a lot of today, Dick Togo, because obviously he was in Kaintai. Um, and Men's Teo as well, you know, Terry Boy, who obviously idolized Terry Funk. Um, so yeah, it's it, it's such a time capsule. That show is, that match is such a time capsule of Japanese wrestling at the time, and worldwide wrestling at the time as well. Um, we also have on this particular show is, is one of Goto's returns to All Japan Pro Wrestling, which is really intriguing to me because a lot of it was to do with Giant Baba and Giant Baba had a very specific taste when it came to professional wrestling and the number one rule of All Japan Pro Wrestling was you didn't leave All Japan Pro Wrestling and number two rules you didn't set up in opposition which obviously something that Tenru, Onita and Goto did um, so for Goto to go back to All Japan Pro Wrestling and have the match that he has in 2002 uh, tagging with uh, um, oops I'm sure we're going to read it right. Tagging uh, with Tommy Akihonma against Abdul the Butcher and Terry the Fu- Terry Funk. This is kind of shouldn't happen, <laughs> but of course, Giant Barber is no longer with us, and um, the, the bookers of All Japan at the time, which I'm guessing would be Kiyoji Muto, can reach back into the history of All Japan and pick out who they want to wrestle. So to represent the bawling, bloody style of the early '80s, uh, they pick these guys, and I think they were a good selection to pick. Brett. Have you got any comment on this particular match? Because obviously it goes play into the philosophy of what All Japan was like at the time. Yeah, well, Goto actually, um, he left on good terms. Um, he, when he came back to Japan in 89, he, he goes, you know, before I work FNW, I want to get John Papa's permission that I can leave because he never left, technically left yeah. All Japan. So him and Onita went to All Japan, uh, went to meet with Giant Baba and they're talking and everything. And Onita leaves to go to the bathroom and Giant Baba is like, hey, tell me about your son. I want to know about him. Like, like getting like personal, asking him questions. And that like warms Goto's heart and everything. And they're just, he's just smiling and so happy that like Giant Baba, this man I respect that, you know, this mentor mm. to me is like asking me about my children and everything. And um, Goto and Onita comes back from the bathroom and Baba and Goto are just smiling at each other. And Onita's like, what, what did I miss? And <laughs> uh, Giant Baba just goes, you're always going to be an all Japan wrestler. You know, good luck with everything. So like Goto leaves just thinking like Baba is the greatest and everything. So he was still, you know, he had such high respect for Baba and, you know, obviously, you know, Baba's, had passed on in 99 and so um you know it's probably even motoko baba his wife and maybe possibly reached out and um to bring him in for this show you know it was a tribute show to him to giant baba since it was um the 30th anniversary of all japan and so i would imagine it was just kind of hey all the old wrestlers that's why abdul the butcher's there terry funk's there um you know that weren't regularly working there i think it was just kind of a yeah nostalgia show to brought up personally when i saw this match i, I was saying goto's past his prime i did not really i was kind of like oh towards this match just not a fan um there was one scary spot though i don't know john if you noticed it at the end where it was like terry funk tried to give hama a suplex that like turned into like a pile driver through a table at the very end. Yeah. you know what i'm talking yeah. about yeah 
Oh, like, I was like, oh, what happened there? And, like, Hama, like, acts like he, like, is in extreme pain. But as far as the match itself, I was like, um, yeah, I wasn't a big fan of the match itself. No, I don't think it's the... clunky. It is. <laughs> but, you know, it's like, well, Abby's right at the end of his particular career. Not that he was ever particularly a swift mover <laughs> after 1982. Um, you know, Terry's knees are still Terry's knees, let's be honest. Um, so things aren't moving as quickly as they want to do. But I was kind of surprised how quickly they are moving for the particular time period. John, what's your thoughts on this particular match? Yeah, it's it's obviously not as good as some of the other things we've watched, but it has its moments. And I always get a kick out of adrenaline spiking moments. And so the terrifying bit Brett just described was sort of a shot in the arm the match kind of needed in the worst <laughs> way. It's like, oh, potential death? Ah, that's <laughs> oh dear yes this is true um but yeah i mean the, you hear so many stories about baba being such a nice guy you know he was a fairly cutthroat businessman when it came down to 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 cases however you know he was genuinely loved i always fall back on the fact that you know bruno Sammartino was outside an arena one day and baba kind of heals himself out of this toyota that he can barely fit in when he gets to the arena. And um, when Bruno goes home, he always bought a new Cadillac every year for tax purposes, you know, what he drove to work in. So he, he would buy a new Cadillac and he had it shipped to Japan for Giant Baba. And the next time he was in Japan, um, Baba had a driver and uh, Baba, was, Baba was sat in the back smoking a cigar as he got driven to the arena, which is how <laughs> it should be, I feel. <laughs> <laughs> But there you go. Uh, we next have a selection of matches from the early 2000s that Brett very kindly put together for this particular playlist and put on on, uh, on uh, our, his YouTube channel, uh, which kind of showcased the latter career of uh, Thousand Goto, who retires in 2010. According to Cage Match, though, Brett might have a better idea of when he actually finished, because Cage Match isn't absolutely 100% perfect. Yeah, he match. finished... His last match was 2018. Just, it was so... They were so obscure that like cage match didn't even catch him or whatnot. But he was still he still he had a match in December two thousand eighteen. There you go. So he was still was wrestling a, on and off. It was another pretty progressive match if I remember it correctly, because he wrestled a trans wrestler, didn't he? If I remember, he teamed correctly. with the trans transvestite wrestler. So yeah, um, and it kind of goes in with just the start of this uh, the, these two matches where. Um, so Tarzan Goto, you know, at this point, uh, becomes a trainer. Where hey, you know, I'm I'm willing to train. He had trained Hayabusa, Ganesuke. He starts his up his own school, and so he's training these other wrestlers. And you know, he goes, hey, I could, you know, let's run shows. And so he starts running these really small shows. Calls his promotion Tarzan Goto Ippa, and hey, you know, it's pretty much every weekend, and maybe the show will draw twenty people. Maybe this. Maybe a big show will draw 100 people, but, you know, 20 to 30 people, 50 people, uh, very, you know, low, small shows. And those go on for a couple of years, and um, he ends up uh, pretty much, you know, uh, pretty much having a dojo be the building that he runs in. And that's what um, this match with um, Tarzan Goto and Mr. Ganesuke, who Ganesuke, they had worked, Ganesuke was, uh, had started up his own promotion, WMF, at this point in 2005, and Goto running his promotion, they kind of agreed to work with one another, each other's shows, and for this, uh, for the 2005 one, it's Goto and Ganesuke versus Man Man Pondo and Gasaku, another former FMW wrestler, and, you know, it, 
uh, John, you saw it too. It's just a lot of stabbing, pretty much. Right? <laughs> a lot of stabbing, random dancing, random events. It's just, it's kind of funny. Yeah, it's it's not good, but it's 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 entertaining, <laughs> and that's what a lot of the goto. I mean, uh, like I was saying, you know, hey, ninety to ninety-five, those goto matches, they're good. That he's a main reason why they are good. Uh, 2000 to 2005, you know, hey, maybe they're inter- maybe he's the main reason they're entertaining, but I wouldn't say good. But they, you know, entertaining and um, de- definitely, you know, still add a lot of deathmatch aspects to it, but not as physical. You know, a lot more stabbing instead of like go, you know, suplexes and everything. Uh, you know, hard. <laughs> it kind of yeah, he changes the mindset of how to do a deathmatch. So it's anyway, he does. Hard. It's that kind of, I can't do what I used to do as well as I can, so I'm going to adapt for the more stabby yeah. generation. Exactly, yeah. There's a lot right. of stabbing and a lot of uh, stabbing blood and, and everything. So then um, the following year, uh, he decides, you know what, he starts up his own restaurant. I'm going to have shows, my own independent, you know, this independent show at my restaurant. And so he builds a ring in his restaurant. And that's where all the Tarzan Goto shows start in 2006. And this match, uh, this other match, uh, Mr. Pogo, him, and he start working together. They had worked together in FMW in 93. Um, they worked IWA Japan in 98-9. They had actually been in, they had actually known each other in Kansas City back in the 80s. So they go way back. They start booking each other again for their own promotions. Pogo has a WWS promotion of small independent. Goto has his own small independent. They agree to do some shots with one another. And on this one, they have a singles match with one another. Well, at this point in 2006, Goto and Pogo, they're not jobbing ever. Nobody's going to make them job. They're <laughs> old. They're especially not to each other. They're not going to job. So that, but they have a singles match where the loser is supposed to be a maid for Goto's restaurant. So they have to wear a maid outfit and everything. And then um, it ends up going to a no contest. Pogo's guy, uh, Demon, I believe his name was, just runs in the ring. And then Ricky Fuji runs in the ring and it becomes a no contest. Well, they got, obviously, since no one's going to job and they go, well, (laughs) someone's got to be a maid. That was the stipulation. So they pretty much just like have like a coin in the referee's hand. Okay, Pogo, pick pick which uh, hand has the coin. He picks incorrectly. And he ends up having to uh, be the maid for this. So he ends up having to <laughs> like that, take pictures. The video, uh-huh. the video is worth watching just for seeing Pogo in the maid costume. It's it is. Yeah. It really, really is. Yeah. It is. It is. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, Pogo has to serve all the customers. He takes pictures with the cu- with the fans and everything. And then at the end, he's uh, supposed to serve Goto a drink. He ends up uh, spilling it on Goto and then um, spitting in Goto's water or whatnot in Goto's face and running off. <laughs> I do. I, I want to I want to be on the, the business meeting, like where you go to the bank and said, I want to start a restaurant with a wrestling ring in it and have death matches on weekends. Yeah, <laughs> but that's what Goto was. He was pretty much done with in the business at this point. So what am I going to do? Uh, you know, because he's not making enough money to live off of. These shows no, are so small. No. It's well, what do I? What do I know? I hey, I was a cook in uh, Florida, so hey, I know how to do this. And so yeah, he ended up doing that. <laughs> so there you go. I mean, he also uh, went back to YWA, which became a full-on comedy promotion. And I've seen like he was their top heel, having been a babyface uh-huh. for so many years. And was just like a proper top comedy heel. He was just like come to the ring disguised as somebody else type of heel because IWA weren't doing serious wrestling at the time. They were doing a full-on comedy uh, kind of deal. It was also the the place where Steve Williams had his last serious run. Uh, It was just before he got diagnosed with cancer. 
Uh, yeah, they brought in a bunch of like Big Boss Man. Yeah. They brought in a bunch of people. Uh, Hacksaw, Jim Duggan. Yeah, they brought in several Americans in, in that. <laughs> but again, IWH Japan, and those were somewhat sim- aired on Samurai, but not very much. Like that's, yeah. most people don't know that even. Yeah, so I, I, just, I can remember watching them because they would get put on YouTube a couple of days afterwards. Yeah, but it just shows how powerful TV is even in Japan mm. where, hey, you, you know, you for us to be able to follow you, you need we need to be able to see you. Yeah, that's it. That's the thing. It's just like have an outlet somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, so that kind of brings then to our viewing and his career. So let's have there a was quick... one more match. Oh, uh, one more match. match. Yeah, just real quick, going kind of back to uh, what John had mentioned about. Uh, so while Goto was training and everything, this uh, tr- a um, transgender woman, uh, Reina Ayakawa, comes up to him at his restaurant and goes, I want to be a wrestler. Will you train me? And Goto goes, okay, but I'm going to train you like you know anyone else. Okay, I'm good with that. So he trains her. And she ends up starting a transvestite promotion where it's every wrestler is a transvestite. And um, she ends up winning the title of her promotion and becomes the first trans uh, transvestite uh, champion. And Tarzan Goto ends up starting up a new promotion uh, called Super FNW. And uh, pretty much the whole thing would be is, okay, I'm going to bring in an FNW wrestler each uh, month. You know, so one time it's mm-hmm. Onita, one time it's Kanemura, one time it's uh super leather even and um but he pretty much he's not gonna have singles matches or whatnot so it's it's typically six or eight uh person uh tag matches and and reina ayakawa is usually his partner now reina ayakawa she she, there was many of the uh uh the trans uh gender wrestlers on these shows reina ayakawa was okay and that's the bet like that that was the 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 best wrestler there the others they would fill out the the undercard and having gone to one of these shows a lot of them just were not very good at all she like i said at least could was competent and everything and that's why she was into the she would be put into the main event matches with goto and like i said mr pogo was in these matches and uh, um the one i went to was really really fun uh being there live um like i said Mm. horrible undercard great to be there live street fights you know chairs getting thrown everywhere there's only <laughs> less than 100 people there so it's kind of really um you know close you know you you feel very you know into it because you're right there it's, you know um there's not as many people there obviously it's not a big show or anything but yeah and um the show i was at did not make tape so i wanted to add on the next month's show uh where again they're throwing chairs uh canamura's in the main event it's you know they're fun brawls and like i was telling um you guys before this we started they're maybe not translated to tape very well but being there live is such a surreal experience because like holy crap you guys got you got you know all these wrestlers just brawling and fighting right in front of you and and I don't know, it's just, it always stood out. And it was, you know, again, n- not the best wrestling matches in general, but really fun street fight brawls. <laughs> yeah, it is a fun match. It is a fun match to watch. And it is just like, you can see how it appeals to people. And you're probably right. We didn't want to see the undercard as well. But this is, you know, these are wrestling legends and people we've thoroughly enjoyed watching wrestling come down the years. John, what's your thoughts on this final match on the on the playlist? It, it was fine. Like... <laughs> As you said, name value carries it somewhat, and it's just fun seeing some of the old FMW guys just having a street fight. It's it's a very low-key venue, but it's it's just, again, another dose of chaos to 
sort of finish off a chaotic playlist. Yeah, and these shows weren't very, they weren't, like I said, they're not attended very well, and each show did less and less to where there was like only like 30 people in the building, and to the point where they couldn't even run this show, this build, this Shinkiba first ring, which is only fits like 300 people in general. They couldn't yeah. even afford that anymore, and so they end up getting smaller and smaller and smaller to the point where then Tarzan Goto goes, okay, this is too small even for me, I'm out of here, and he ends up just working at his restaurant uh, pretty much until he ended up passing away. And like I said, he did work one more show for them. He They kind of did a reunion show where he came back and it, it, there's one person that taped it and there's like six minutes of it online and Goto, and, but it didn't make tape in general, but like Goto has this big, long gray beard at the, you know, at this point and everything. Mm. And he's just like, I don't give a crap mode and just starts beating the crap out <laughs> of me. So to finish our show today, what's the lasting legacy of Tarzan Goto, Brett? Um, I mean, just an incredible workhorse. And like I said, I mean, FMW isn't FMW without him. Onita needed him, you know, probably, you know, for Onita's vision of FMW, it wasn't going to happen without Tarzan Gupto. He needed someone else. You know, it's remarkable that he was able to do what Onita, you know, Onita was able to do with FMW, build it the way it was, but he couldn't have done it without, you know, again, it's, they were the mom and the dad of FMW. Okay. Onita was the draw, but Goto was the number two solid hand, but also, Hey, I'm going to train the wrestlers. I'm going to make sure all the wrestlers are on the bus. I'm going to make sure everything's up, you know, ready for the show and, and all the wrestlers are trained and everything. And so he was a really key part of FNW growing. And then FNW became, you know, kind of led to, Hey, death matches in general. And, you know, you start seeing him in IWA Japan and then all these other promotions start doing them. And then, Hey, they're in America. ECW's doing it and a lot of the time Tarzan Goto still you know a part of that Tarzan Goto did an ECW uh, arena match against Axel Rotten one time and that you you know he's a part of uh, the IWA King of the Death match against Severn at uh, Kawasaki Stadium you know he's all over the place in the 90s like you can't have you can't talk about deathmatch wrestling in the 90s without Tarzan Goto because of you know how important he was and you know and then you go into the 2000s and okay you know he's not as important he's not the worker or anything but he kind of is he kind of helped create the you know quote-unquote indie sleaze i actually hate that word but you know the <laughs> independent lower end wrestling where okay these are the yeah there's only gonna be 100 people but they're gonna be fun you know main events where just everyone's gonna brawl around each other and and that's a key you know those are really a big thing in Japan itself. There's hundreds of these small Japanese promotions nobody knows about. And so Goto is a key factor in those as well, on top of, like I said, just the deathmatch scene in general in Japan and America. There you go. He's the, he's the leader of several waves of wrestling revolution. John, what's your thoughts on Tarzan Goto? As I said, I was shocked going back to this, because obviously you always know of Goto, you always see him in shows, but... You never kind of pay attention to him. He's that good at working in the background, keeping things going, so the people, other people, can do their thing. But what, like going back to watch these things, like these matches, with the express intent of seeing what Goto does, it's amazing how much he like really did, especially in the nineties. As you said, he kept helped keep FMW together. He's inspired a shit ton of generations. He just seemed like a stand-up guy, despite some of the workplace disputes he might have had. It's it's nice to go back and look at someone's legacy and find out they're better than you remember them being and not the other way around. Yeah, I think that's the thing that I've drawn from this particular playlist and 
going back to watch these matches uh, that some I'd seen before, some I haven't seen before, but you do get to see a guy who really took pride in his craft, looked after the people he was working with and wanted the best for the company he was working for at the time, which is what great wrestlers are supposed to be. He was a wrestler's wrestler and thoroughly entertained us in whatever style he was in, whatever time he was in. You know, it's, this was great professional wrestling. You know, it, it's it's incredible when you think about like what happened in that particular period between 1990 and 1997 in Japanese wrestling. They went from, you know, having this duopoly of New Japan and Old Japan, no real independent scene, to this explosion of wrestling creativity and the ability to make money hand over fist for such a long period of time. It died off a little bit, obviously, but you learn so many lessons from watching wrestling of this particular era. Even if it's not to your taste, you should watch Tarzan Goto because he shows you what a great professional wrestler should be, knows his role, but knows how to make everybody else look a million dollars in the process. And that brings us to our end of our tribute to Tarzan Go. So, Brett, where can we find you on the internet? And thank you very much for joining us today. Uh, thank you for having me. You can find me at uh, bahufnw.com or fnwwrestling.us. I go I have news, biographies of all the FNW wrestlers, just 20-plus years of my passion about FNW put on a website, essentially. Um, also, I have a YouTube channel, Brett FNW, where I go over, I have 50 episodes of the history of FNW, and I just started a new series to kind of go over specific topics called FNW Stories, and the last episode I did last month was actually uh, about Tarzan Goto, and so it's 25 minutes of me just kind of going over his career as well and just kind of you know the stories and the personal things he dealt with and um next i'm trying and i'm almost finished with a megumi kudo episode uh coming up here in the next week or two that's excellent you can't miss megumi kudo that's got to be awesome so i'm really looking forward to that so thank you very much for joining us today mr john dinsdale sir thank you very much for you joining us today where can we find you on the internet you can find me at john deathman on Twitter, that is the gateway to hell that leads you to my writings, my ramblings, my opinions, where, of course, I'm talking about modern-day death matches, continuously tweeting during shows, and obviously keep tuned to Steel Chair, where you'll find my death match reviews and all other sorts of oddities. <laughs> Including my obituary of um, uh, Tarzan Gota that I wrote this week as well. Uh, thank you very much for listening to us today. Thank you very much for listening to The Troopany Show. We will be back next week. I think we'll probably be looking at New Japan Dominion next week if I can make John watch another New Japan show without uh, crying. That looks awful. <laughs> but you were we'll, talk, we'll talk I... about that during the week. I might be able to get Marcus to do it, so you might be all right. Anyway, thank you very much for listening to us today. Thank you very much for listening to the Troopany Show. You can find me at Show Star on Twitter. You can find the show at Troopany Show on Twitter. You can find us on Facebook, the Troopany Show, and on Patreon, where you keep the Troopany Show free forever for everyone. Thank you for listening to us. Please go watch this playlist. Please go and search out some FMW, and please enjoy Tarzan Goto. He's a great wrestler, and we really hope we've done him justice today. Take care, and we'll speak to you soon. Bye. <laughs>